to take our Bibles once again up to Romans and Romans chapter 1. And we consider once again the first seven verses of Romans 1. And no, I'm not restarting a series of sermons on Romans. I preached through Romans here once, though that would be profitable. But I just want to visit especially one concept which we didn't miss, but we didn't focus upon last time in considering the truth of the Son of God, and that is this gospel of God that's brought out and unto which Paul says he's separated. Romans chapter 1, the word of God at verse 1. Paul, and a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus far we read this word of God, which will be the focus of a sermon this evening entitled The Gospel of God and Oh, What Good News It Is. The Gospel of God unto which Paul is separated and which is the gospel that we enjoy knowing Jesus Christ in our life and by faith. Well, I don't know about you, but I could use some good news and could use some more good news. We're bombarded, after all, with all kinds of news, and hardly any of it is good in any sense of the word in the modern media. Thinking, for example, of the newspapers. I used to read the New York Times, or some of it, when I lived in New York. And they used to have in the left corner or the right, I don't know, I forget, on the top, the first page, all the news that's fit to print. I don't think they have that there today, but certainly in every other page and even the first page, there's no news hardly that's fit to print there anymore or in all of the media. Really, all the news that they present nowadays is all the news that sells. And it's not news like you and I used to think, those of us who are older, that would be an objective reporting of things that happened and, uh, and so on. But there's bias in the news. You can see that in election years and all the time. And so it's depressing. It can be depressing. And it's bad news here and bad news there. And this law passed or those people let in the country illegally and another war and this and that conspiracy theory about the Russians or whoever else. Tired of that, aren't we? And we could use a little more good news, couldn't we? 
Same thing could be said in the church. The church is uh, full of problems. Just heard of another one. Minister retired. No, was forced to resign because of, well, some affair. Another one was forced to resign because of depression. Real temptations for ministers. Temptations of the flesh, looks like we all have, and congregations are decimated. Surprised, decimated, divided, and all over the place is bad news in the Church of Christ, where there should be good news. And of all people, we should be those who thrive on the good news and who aren't down for it, and I am confessing my little faith here off the pulpit. Maybe somehow you can relate. The good news is what we need, and the good news is what we shall get tonight. I was thinking of that when preached to you last Sunday evening, I think, about the Son of God, glorious, glorious truth here that's brought out, certainly the focus here of Paul. But then there was that phrase that I just couldn't get away from, that Paul was this bondservant of Jesus, called to be a, an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. I thought, now, isn't that amazing? That's how Paul begins. And that's where he goes in the entire epistle to speak of, to expound the gospel of God. And I think the Romans needed that, don't you? And I think we need that, don't we? Tonight, the gospel of God and to say with all God's people, oh, what good news it is. Thanks be to God for the gospel of God. I want to consider what that means. What is that gospel? I want to consider the mission, that is, the result of the gospel, and then the fruit of it. They're all there in the text in one way or another. The center is the gospel of God. Now that truth, the gospel of God and those words simply speak of the good news of God. That's oiangelion, oiangele, the good news, the good message that God gives to us, his people. It's good news. And it's striking because he gives good news here in the midst of all the bad. And the good news, in fact, is not an afterthought of God's, it's good news that has been published in the prophets long ago, that God had determined and according to which he was working out all things, and now it's realized in his son. In a bad world, in a world that needs good news, and good news that's not just informative, but which is saving. You too need that saving good news to save your soul, to save your marriage, to save your holiness, to save your happiness, to save your church. We need that good news. And the apostle comes here as a, one who's bound to determine that on the front page of his Roman times will be printed all the news that's good to print. It's good news. Because it's of God. And God is good. God is good. And the good news that he gives is that there's this good news which is truly good for people. It will save them from the worst stuff that can happen. 
And it's not something that happened in the 20s and 30s in the United States and in all the world, the depression, an economic depression. No. The worst thing that could happen has happened, and that's that people rebelled against God. This book of Paul's and of God's throughout in the Bible is good news presented against that backdrop of sin and fall and the consequences of sin. So printed to the Romans is this gospel paper called the Book of Romans that is disseminated as it's given and republished in all the world. It's disseminated, distributed, published in all the world in the cemeteries because all the world is a cemetery place for the dead. And the living dead. It's no wonder people have made movies about the living dead, zombies, and so on. It's next to reality. But they make it too, too theatric and not so bad as it is, really. You know that? Zombies don't approach the death of sin and the fact that there's sinners who sin. Far worse than earthly monsters or Hollywood monsters are sinners. But the good news is there's salvation from sin. There's deliverance from guilt. There's something that comes from God. That's the idea. It comes from God. Gospel of God comes from God. The water from the Mississippi that flows into the Gulf of Mexico came from a fount, a source, way north, Minnesota, wherever, somewhere. The gospel of God comes from way up from God to this earth to deal with that worst of problems. And it's sin and death, guilt, depravity, bondage, discord, wars, violence, and subtle coveting of rich men and poor men who are united in their coveting and always wanting a dollar more. The good news is deliverance unto the fellowship of God. The best thing can happen to anybody because that's the way we're made. You realize that? Might not be made to be married, might be single for this short life, but you're made to be with God. If you're made by God, and if you're made in the image of God originally, you're called to be with God, and Adam and Eve were blessed to be with God, and salvation is this bringing back to God of those whose sin has estranged them from God. That's the good news. And it's unique, this news, this salvation from sin. There's this gospel of God. That's what makes it unique. It comes from God to this earth. One of a kind. The Apostle Paul is 
writing to the Romans who had their own kind of good news because they were, man, they were in the, the kingdom of kingdoms of that age. And some argue for all time. What a glorious Roman Empire was the Roman Empire. And it was so powerfully established in the Roman army. And there were laws and Roman jurisprudence and principles of law and practices of law that hold to today and are followed in the courts of the land and in the legislative bodies of the lands. And so they had something of justice there. And there was something of equity and there was something of tolerance that really is uh, something we're doing as an experiment over and over again in the United States. There were freedoms to worship your gods. That's what made the Roman Empire so strong and so lasting. There was tolerance for diversity of gods and religions, so long as you bent the knee to Caesar, and he was the savior even as he imagined himself to be. He's the soter, written on the coins, Caesar's Lord, Caesar's Savior, as long as you bend the knee. And you can have your gods. Caesar tolerates other gods. Nobody can vie with him for power and dominance. But you see, the gospel is, is not that. It's the gospel of, of God that says there's salvation, and the good news is that you're at peace with God. And Paul's epistle will be all about that. He'll speak in the first chapters of the sin of man, and then he'll speak of the justification of the sinner, and then he'll speak of that first, very first fruit of those who are justified, therefore being justified by faith. We have what? Peace with God. Irene, Greek word for peace, from which we get irenic, peaceful. If you're an irenic person, you're peaceful. Well, God is a peaceful God. He makes peace with sinners. There it is. And then all the other wonderful bounties of the cross of Calvary, peace, and then you're delivered from the bondage of sin. Your master is no longer the, the, the devil himself and sin itself. And there's this victory. There's this glory that awaits. There's heaven. It's all the good news of the gospel, right from heaven. And Effected, as Paul says here and as we concentrated last time on, by a one-of-a-kind mediator. And Paul gets right to it. He's a bondservant, he's a slave, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Like Luther, following in Paul's footsteps, I'm captive to the word. Paul was handcuffed to the word which, of course, is freedom. He was a bondservant of Jesus. He's just going to serve Jesus, and he's called by Jesus, he says, to be an apostle, an official herald, one of the twelve, and separated to, set apart from, marked off by God and his grace to the gospel of God, that even from birth, and that especially on the Damascus road when he was called by Jesus from the heavens and then blinded and then made to see that he would be an apostle of the Gentiles. Well, Jesus is the one to whom Paul is a bondservant and for which gospel of Jesus is 
God is he's separated. And this Jesus is no surprise. He was promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus is no afterthought of God. He's the center thought of God. And all of these scriptures and promises concerned his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, not only Savior, but Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, just as David had promised there would be a seed on the throne of David, so Jesus is, 2 Samuel 7. Nathan says to, G, to, uh, to David, when your days are fulfilled, you rest with your fathers. I'm going to set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. This is Jesus. House builder of God architect with God in the communion of the Holy Spirit and then the builder who lays the foundation of the house in his blood and who establishes the church in truth and builds the church on his truth and by his spirit so that that church becomes a temple and a kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the church. So there's one of a kind, this God. And there's this one of a kind Savior who comes from God and mediates salvation. And this I want to say, in conclusion of this point almost, this first point, that he comes, does this God, and this gospel is for a one of a kind people. Did you know that? Do you know that? Did you know what that kind of people is? This gospel is of one a one of a kind God. He's far above Caesar. And he sends a one of a kind son to a one of a kind people. And who you ask may that be? Sinful people. Sinners. That's it. That's the relevance of this gospel, you see, to which Paul is separated and which the church is called to preach. It's for sinners of every kind, of every race, in every space, in every time. And I would say that to you who need a dose of this good news, sinner. Yes, Jesus is for the peace of sinners like you. Do you know that peace? Jesus comes into your world where you've sinned and you need forgiveness. Jesus comes into your family that's broken by divorce. Jesus comes to you and your bondage and your addiction. And you know what they are. And he has truth that sets you free. And Jesus comes 
And he gives you purpose. Jesus is for these kinds of people who are sinful and they need purpose. Jesus comes into this world and he says, I am the significant other. I am the holy God in the flesh. I am the one who's crucified for sinners. And you will find meaning and purpose only in God, in and through me. So he's saying, this is the message the gospel of God, and more. This good good news of God, of a -a one-of-a-kind God, and of a -a one-of-a-kind Savior to one-of-a-kind people and sinners, that's the one kind of people we are all together. That even shows off God himself when that good news is believed and there is it's amazing, amazing fruit of it. That's the idea of the other truth that's brought out by the gospel of God. It not only comes from God, you see, but it's about God. And this is where people stumble. And they, they, they may not. We may not. People stumble because, well, if there was a gospel of God, it would have been a gospel for good people because God made them, and a gospel in a good world because God made the world. And if this was a gospel of God that had to do with a, God, with a world gone to hell and going to hell and full of trouble, then how can it be of God? Because who's the problem in the first place? Must be God. Stumbling block of the, of the gospel, I say, and of the whole religion that we believe is the Christian religion. How can God bring good out of evil? How can God let there be evil, determine that there be evil, determine that there be a cross, and be the one who's planned it all, even the fall? And how can he have anything worthy of the name gospel, and why would we read this book? So much bad stuff to begin with. Why? And how could God be God and good and king at the same time? And this cross, all that is cosmic Child abuse, they say. What father would destroy an innocent son in the name of love? Now, beloved, I didn't say the gospel was easy to believe. In fact, it's impossible to believe, isn't it? If you think of all those things, it must be given. That's why the gospel includes grace. The apostle is the apostle of grace. And the gospel is for sinners who admit they're sinners and who don't try to protest of all the bad news because they realize they're the sinners and God is not. And they 
have a problem, first of all, with themselves who are truly repentant. And they're not going to shake the finger and the fist at God and point the finger at God. This is Romans 9. Who are you that replies against God when God chooses some and not the others? When God chooses to have it this way and, and not another way? Your ideal world and your ideal gospel. This gospel of God is first of all even then. Not about some good news that comes to us, but it's about the good news of God. It's about theology. It's about the greatness of God. To God be the glory. Say the ones who know this gospel. Yes, heaven's great. Want to go to heaven, but only because I get to praise God there. What a gospel of God. Good for us. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The gospelized, do say. Oh, beloved, that leads to my second point. This gospel of God includes a mission. Paul's on it. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And then you go down to verse 5. Through him we've received grace. He's including himself with the other apostles, I, I believe. We've received grace and apostleship for what? Obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you're also called, and so on. Paul was called to be on a mission for the gospel, and this is how God works. Paul the apostle was on this mission, but first of all, he had to be moved. Moved? Yes. Moved in his heart. He had to be converted. There he is going north to Damascus to hail the Christians back to Jerusalem to be tried or to hail them off into prison and maybe to kill them. The Apostle Paul was on this murderous, murderous mission of the Jewish leaders to be this Pharisee who promoted law, who promoted a kingdom of heaven, who promoted men, who promoted that religious Babel, the worst of all, the stronger hold than even Babylon, the Jerusalem that denied Jesus Christ. And Paul was all for it. He was an apostle of the, of the devil himself. And he had to be moved from one status guilty to justified, from one terrible, terrible direction completely to another. And Jesus visited him. Remember that, children? On the Damascus road, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus, the glorified one, says, because he's talking about his body and he's so connected with his body that when you persecute the body, you persecute the head, your attempt to. Jesus is so empathetic. The apostle Paul, that very hour, was converted and started praying in the name of Jesus to God and for mercy. And that's why the whole book of Acts, taken up largely in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and much of the New Testament, is written by the Spirit, God using Paul because he was a moved man. He was a moved man. And he was a grace man. By the grace of God, he would say, I am what I am. That's my identity. That's the source of it. This gospel of God to which I'm separated 
has gospelized me. There's been an impact. It's been everything. And that's what Jesus used. And a man who was still a sinner, a great man to be sure, but had to be inspired like the other writers of the New Testament to write the Word of God, or we, we, he would have gone on his own. Had to have power from on high to work miracles as he did to confirm his apostleship. Had to learn of grace over and over again because you see in Romans, there's Romans 7 and where the apostle admits that he is a small beginning of the new obedience long before the Heidelberg Catechism did. Paul would say, I'm the man who wrestles with evil still. By the grace of God, I am what I am and I only am what I am by the grace of God, which I need today and tomorrow and the next day. Because all I'm doing is struggling and all I'm doing is stuck and I'm in reverse when I want to go in first or fifth gear, overdrive, and I don't know how to use a stick shift or a man shift or whatever shift I want to get by and to get ahead and to be sanctified. He didn't even know that. Except the grace of God moved him and that's, you see, why he preached was everything to him. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel, he'd say in another place. And I'm determined to know in the congregation at Corinth with the other leaders of the church as we are in our church to know just Jesus Christ and him crucified that is fruit of faith among you. Or our ministry is not acceptable. The Apostle Paul would be a champion of Jesus. He wasn't in here for money. He would be himself imprisoned and then killed for his faith. And he wanted it no other way as long as he could suffer for Jesus' sake. And his mission is the mission also, that is given to the church. Apostle Paul is an apostle. And what happens is that the Apostle Paul and the other apostles are the foundation. And on top of that foundation, the church is given to build the church which receives the apostolic ministry. And so you'll have a chapter in Romans on the preaching of the gospel and the necessary of that, the necessity of that for believing. Romans 10. Now I know God can use a, a bird singing in the spring to save people, but the normal way that God saves people is by the preaching of the gospel and by the ordained means of ministry and those who've heard the ministry who themselves will be as preachers, though not in the office, as they say, Here's this Jesus that I know, but here's the way that God is pleased. That's amazing, this gospel of God, now put in the hands of mere men, mediated by Jesus, who's the foundation of everything, the cornerstone even of truth, and then to apostles who themselves were nothing, but who needed help and who were always bickering about who would be first, 
And then ministers, talk about low on the totem pole, as it were, miserable men, yes, we are. Mere men, ministers, might have a diploma, most of us do, might have some gift of gab, but most of us go too far. Just earthen vessels and a treasure that's a gift of ministry. But that's how God works. And you see, the whole thing is designed to point everybody back to the gospel of God and not the minister of God. Not even the church of God, but to the gospel of God and the God of the gospel and the Son, the Son, the Son. The Son crucified, the, the Son appointed to be king now and declared to be king after this resurrection from the dead, having died for our sins. We point to him. And you're here for him. Or we all ought to go, go home. But God uses the weakest mean to exalt himself and point others to him through that ministry of weakness in which he will show himself almighty in his gospel to be the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, as Paul says later. Finally, beloved, this mission is fruitful. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel of God never returns to God void. It's one of those words that he speaks the word, good news, salvation, repent and believe, that comes back to heaven. And among those who don't believe, there's this, this justice of God that's glorified in condemning them and hardening them and their unbelief. But among those who believe, oh, it's amazing. There's this, this believing and then this obeying, this, this consecration of people to God because they've been given faith. And Look at what the apostles said he was called to do. We receive grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience to the faith. That's the mission of the church, and that's the fruit. That's what happens. There's believing, but then there's fruit of it. Obedience to it. That would mean doctrinal conformity to what God teaches in Jesus Christ. Teach them to obey everything I've taught you, he says. Yes, there is. There's a mind that's renewed. There's people who come into the church and they, they are educated and they want to learn the faith of our fathers. Obedience to the faith, the truth found in the Bible, codified in the creeds as great and faithful statements of the truth that God saves sinners. That's the Reformed faith. Obedience, though, in every way, just not just a show, I believe, and a confession, but a life. The Apostle Paul, in fact, would say at the very end of, the, of, of Romans, as he's closing, he says this now to him, and this is the doxology, who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Obedience to the faith. Bookends in the book of Romans. 
The mission of the apostle, the mission of the church, obedience to the faith of all nations. You go wherever God sends you. So that a whole world is saved out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. All kinds but one kind, sinners saved to kneel at the foot of Jesus. Obedience to the faith, demonstrated faith. Suffering for Christ, faith. Obeying your parents, faith, in the name of Christ. Singing hosannas without any kind of embarrassment. Praying in public at the restaurant. Marrying in the Lord. Working on difficulties and being reconciled. Yielding to the consistory when it comes with the word of God and reminds you of your sin. Believing in justification by faith by God and not in self-justification. Believing in the Mount of Calvary and not your own Mount Ego. The gospel of God works conviction of sinners to believe all that, have their minds conform to truth, and their life to follow. Yours? Yours, beloved? If it is, it's the beginning of glory beginning of liberty for you, the beginning of peace. I say the beginning because, yes, there's sin. But it's the beginning, too, of giving praise to God, having some purpose wherever you're working, at the hospital, at the home, in, in the school, and wherever you are. God gets the glory in whatever you do because you're doing it for him. That's the gospel of God, from God, of God, to the glory of God, and the obedience to the faith of all the nations. And it makes for a praying people, doesn't it? And when there's drought, they come to the prayer meeting with an umbrella. And when there's brokenness, they come to the Lord Jesus with confidence that there's going to be healing. Beloved, that's our God. We believe in him. I know it's hard. I confess to you at the beginning of this sermon, I'm in need of some good news. Here I am, a preacher of the good news. I still need more. I'm tired of all the news that's unfit to print and all the news of my own life that's unfit to print. Tiny beginning of a tiny man who preaches a great big God. Remember that. And so it applies. Paul gives and commands that there be and announces that there be grace and peace to the Romans. Grace and peace to you, beloved, to you, to every one of you. Grace and peace. It's the gospel of God. He is faithful. Press on. Amen. We pray, Father, give us grace and peace. 
respond to the gospel of God. We, Lord, believe in you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for liberty. We thank you for power in our lives, holy power. Thank you for a resurrection of your son and us. Thank you for hope. Thanks, Lord, for purpose in life. As members of the Church of Christ, witnesses, believing witnesses of Jesus Christ. Help us to be those shining lights and that witness of the church this week and always. May grace and peace mark our way.